and the coming of Jesus. And some of it has to do with um, a lot of what I was thinking about in the last couple of days was these, these ideas, and we talked about revival coming, and, you know, these places that have had revivals in the Josiah Center's on day 34 or 35, I think, something like that, that they're keep going on every night. They've been doing over a month of meetings every night. And, we, and I've, I must have gotten a person that likes revival. You know, I have an idea of this concept of it. And they want to see God come. They want to see come God move and his glory show up. Um, my heart longs to see revival come and God come and touch a city, touch, touch Duluth, touch Superior. And I'm hoping that soon it's going to happen, that somewhere something's going to break loose and God's going to come down and the heavens are going to open up and we're going to see the glory of God come and rest upon us for a period of time, perhaps. Maybe short, maybe long, but a period of time. I think that revivals like Azusa Street and others have happened because as I've expressed this, and I preached this a couple of weeks ago, and Mary reminded me of that, a couple of weeks ago, 15 people in a house in Los Angeles. 15 people, you know, 15 people here. The group this size prayed earnestly for the release of God, and he came and he met them, and he poured out a revival that impacted almost every evangelical or Pentecostal church comes from Azusa Street. If you genealogically push it back, open door comes from Azusa Street. Substance comes from Azusa Street. <laughs> The Assemblies of God comes from Azusa Street. It comes from Azusa Street. Because it just all traces back to the moment. And then there's this branch that happens. It just widens out. You start seeing Calvary Temple and John Wimber. And you see Vineyard. And you see <coughs> IHOP. And you see all these places all come from this point of 15 people praying for God to come and God to be released. So revivals come because you have people who are hungry for the presence of God. 15 people were tired of church as we defined it as normal. And they wanted something more. They didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know what it was going to feel like, smell like. And they didn't care. They just knew that they wanted something more. They read the life of Jesus and they realized, there has to be, I mean, I could just kind of put myself in, it's like, there has to be more to this. <laughs> there has to be. And so they prayed for that. So I believe that revivals happen because of hunger. People that are hungry that want to see God come, that they help him to come, and he answers that. I believe that revival take hold of a city because God comes and wants to bring himself to these people. And I think the third part of this is that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about today, and kind of tie this into who do you say that he is, is that revivals are sustained because people experience an encounter with Jesus that changes them and transforms them and it's a mark in their life that they can go back to and say that very moment, my life changed forever. Yeah. And that's how revivals are sustained because they just have no turning back. My kids are all, you've all been impacted by Craig Nelson. Everybody in this, all my kids in this room have had some form, your life was touched by Craig Nelson at Montana camp. Craig said, when revival fell, there was no going back in his life. That's a, he, he marks that as a line in the sand and says, that's when I had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life. And that's caused thousands and hundreds of thousands, I think. They were just down in Mexico and saw these, these crazy meetings <coughs> happening down in Mexico, Craig and Susie. 
because that moment, that encounter with Jesus. As we look at the characters that make up the original arrival of Jesus, we celebrate that at this time of the year. You know, we read back and we read all these things. Um, I want to look at some of the principles involved in how their encounter with Jesus plays out. Uh, the most important thing is that you're going to see that there are people here that have just this honest, crazy encounter with Jesus. Some of them are looking for it. Some of them aren't. Some of them really grab a hold of it. Some of them don't. But there's a, something that happens to all these people. I want to start with two of them at the very beginning of the story. And as we read, it's kind of like a play. In this first act, we are going to see this first couple experience his presence, his grace, his love, his power and their lives being altered completely. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah and the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, but they had no children. For she was barren. And they both were advanced in years. And it doesn't tell us how old advanced in years is. I'd like to think that that was quite a lot more older than 60. <laughs> but advanced in years means something like around 100, maybe. Right? Because I'm not advanced in years yet. I'm not ready for that stage in my life. But it says they were advanced in years. So the principles that play out here is they are elderly and they had no children. They'd had a life childless. And in that time frame, if you think about it, in the society of it, Elizabeth lived with scorn because of that. I mean, really, she was an outcast. If you couldn't have children, I mean, you know, we've come so far in our society today, but back then, that was a woman's purpose, really, was to have children. And she had no purpose at that point in her life. And it says that the story of Jesus enters her life and enters Zacharias' life, and he's in the temple. Ooh, this stuff is so familiar to us. When he enters the temple, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, guess what? You're going to have a child. And as if you know the story, we all know it so well enough. He didn't go like, woohoo, you know, let's have a reveal party and, you know, go through all this stuff, you know. We've got to find out what sex it is, and then go around and get out cigars. And he was so, he was like, that's not going to happen. We're too old to have kids, man. We're way past that stage in our lives. And we all know that he gets struck dumb by the angel because of his disbelief, but he goes home and he tells his wife, Elizabeth, we're going to have a child. He writes it and mimics it. How he gets this word to her, we're going to have a child. And lo and behold, she has an encounter with Jesus that changed her life and she has a child. And if you read this, it says, After the days his wife, his Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. <coughs> she didn't want people to know. But she says this. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. So think about how Elizabeth's life was altered by her encounter with Jesus at that moment in her life. She had a child. And her reproach was gone. She got a miraculous healing. And she got an emotional healing in her life. 
So if they say, who do you say that Jesus is? He's, she's going to say, he's a miraculous healer. He came in and gave me something I didn't have, I couldn't possibly do. So we see that's one of the ways that she had this radical change in her life and she was able to go around and testify to people finally that her life had been altered completely. The second principle is I just want to look at kind of briefly today are these lowly, humble men guarding sheep as shepherds and we sing about them out in the fields, watching their fields and flocks by night. They were hardworking individuals not among the social elite, the didn't have lots of money, didn't have good reputations. Luke chapter 2 tells us in the same region there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by an angel of the Lord to them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. <laughs> and it says they were filled with great fear. And obviously that's, I think all of us would be that way. I think all of us who are these steadfast, we believe in prophecy, we believe in angels, we believe in all that stuff. I think we'd pretty shy all of a sudden there's a host of angels in this room. We'd be probably filled with fear too. <laughs> but they were afraid. But Jesus enters into this quiet, singularly focused life of theirs. He comes in and he encounters this more time. They receive the greatest news ever given to mankind and they respond in charge to go see. They just sing that song, God has done. I imagine, <laughs> I, mean, I thought about this, couple of times. I imagine that there's this like this great revelation, you know, being in come and see what God has done. And they come running and they run into this cave and they little they just a little I probably believe what God is <laughs> be a little underwhelming. But they came and they saw and in that instant they knew. Little bit. Again I've said this and I've preached this a couple of times over time I think. There were no words. There were no printed reels. There were no videos that said, this is the Messiah. It's a baby. And they knew it was the Messiah. <laughs> Came, saw, and it tells us, they saw it. They know saying, this is Luke chapter 17. They made say, told them that could shout, and all who heard them marveled. They said, and the shepherds horrifying and praising for all they had seen and heard has been told them. <coughs> that encounter them into 